The yearbook. This cannot be a coincidence. This is no longer coincidence, and it's not us. It's you. No, it's neither of us. It is every channel and streaming service really has dug up every conceivable pandemic movie and every conceivable outbreak movie ever made, and now they're showing them all. We don't just keep seeing, it's no coincidence that pandemic movies are just all of a sudden magically showing up everywhere at all times of the day. Sportscast, I'm your host, Doug. The New York Times just produced a video for its website outlining what can be learned from the NBA, which puts certain restrictions on competition to make sure all of its teams have a chance to succeed. I understand what the Times was saying, and everything in the video is absolutely accurate. This really just comes down to the NBA was not the best example. The presentation points to the NBA's revenue sharing, salary cap, and draft as factors that keep all of the teams, even the low-revenue ones, competitive and in the running. I absolutely believe in salary caps to keep competitive balance, and I want the NBA to retain its salary cap, but unfortunately, the NBA's cap has unintentionally worked against it. What's basically happened is star players on small market teams are leaving those small market teams to form clusters of the league's best players on big market teams, not named the Knicks. So the Warriors were able to add Kevin Durant to an already amazing roster and won two more championships. The Heat were able to add free agent prizes, LeBron James and Chris Bosh, to their already existing Dwayne Wade and appeared in four straight NBA Finals winning two. Now LeBron is on the conference-leading Lakers. Uh, Last year's surprise champion Raptors were the fourth biggest spenders in the league. This while the Suns, the Kings, Pacers, Hawks, Jazz, etc., they still search for an NBA title. I think all leagues need a salary cap, including the NBA. The NBA just is not the most obvious argument for one. Instead, the New York Times ironically should have highlighted the NFL. Yes, the same NFL that has that evil empire rep, but it has done an excellent job putting all of its franchises in a position to win. During training camp, everyone actually does have a legitimate shot at winning. No one blinked when Kansas City won the Super Bowl because they have arguably the league's best player, Patrick Mahomes. But a small market like Kansas City winning a title would be very big news in any other league. And so would the fact that Kansas City can afford arguably the league's best player. Cap-wise, and in so many other ways, the NBA has the right idea, but something needs to be fixed. Uh, The Times video points out that without a level playing field, basketball would be quote-unquote boring as hell the video does not point out baseball's actually existing competitive issues which have made it boring as hell full disclosure my favorite baseball team is not a small city franchise baseball players and baseball owners appear to be really really mad at each other which is what fans didn't want to see before the end of the 2021 season the current collective bargaining agreement cba ends after that 2021 season so Whenever the Cubs make the final out of the 2021 World Series, that could be the end of baseball for a while. There will be a baseball season this year, at least on paper, even though the players ultimately rejected it because the commissioner can compel a 2020 schedule to happen, which is what's happening, although whether this should happen anymore is a topic, with July already here and training camps with just a few players in them closing. But this time, we're focusing instead on the future, which, ironically... 
is what everyone should have been doing for about the last two decades. None of this is earth-shattering. None of the following is going to surprise you at all. Companies, governments, and people make short-sighted decisions constantly. In August of 2002, baseball was set to stop again due to a labor dispute that included the possible dissolving of two teams. But just a few hours before that deadline, the two sides agreed to a new CBA, and there was a lot of rejoicing. That success was framed against the the complete cancellation of a season just eight years earlier in 1994. So everyone involved with baseball was understandably elated. Except a lot of things did not get solved. And the ceasefire between the two sides since then, called 18 Years of Labor Peace, new CBAs were agreed to without stoppages in 2007, 2012, 2017, was great for baseball's continuity, but a lot of things still haven't been corrected. So you can't be surprised that now the players and owners hate each other and the 2022 season is in jeopardy. All this labor peace was actually a giant rug to keep sweeping things under. Now, I'm not rooting for a strike or a lockout. I do not want that. But all the celebrating of 2002 did nothing to solve MLB's problem with haves and have-nots. The league should have a sign that just says tilt. Every spring, at least close to half the teams have no chance to win at all. In recent years, soccer's 20-team English Premier League, where the same six teams spend as much as they possibly can and always win everything, that's been more unpredictable than Major League Baseball. The Premier League somehow had a complete shock of a champion in 2015, and this year could have two snake lights finish in the top five. Uh, earlier, I was going to say, whenever the Reds make the final out of the 2021 World Series, but good luck with that. The Reds are a have-not. Uh, baseball also has issues with profit sharing, free agency, the draft, travel, and the sometimes interminable regular season. Also marketing, and the owners still wanting to protect the owners from the owners. So many problems is not a surprise when no one ever addresses them because they're too busy celebrating the latest CBA. And now here we are. The owners and players despise each other. A lockout or strike is a real possibility. And we're going to get the same lame political cartoons or memes that show the players and owners fighting while the fans are left outside. Seriously, come up with an original idea. Again, I am not wishing for a stoppage. I just want both sides to solve an actual issue. Happy July 4th and happy Canada Day, by the way, from uh, the yearbook. And thank you for listening. It says in the yearbook at Hotmail.com, a documentary on the reunification in indie cars. We've been talking about documentary ideas. Uh, all our ideas are bad. Uh, but in 1996, the Indie Racing League, or IRL, broke away from CART, the longtime pro IndyCar circuit. The reasons are not worth explaining, but it's essentially as if the American League split from the National League and the American League took the World Series with it. So the American League owned the World Series and no National League team could play in it, but each league had its own playoffs, named its own champion, and the two leagues never, ever, never played or had anything to do with each other. Now, in IndyCar, 12 years later, in 2008, the two sides finally reunited, which was a bizarre moment in North American sports. But outside of racing circles, nothing much was said about it. But there was a lot going on. The former kart teams who basically merged with the IRL, they were at a huge 
disadvantage. They'd spent the last however many years driving on road courses. Now they suddenly had to make left turns for a living while driving cars that did not make left turns. And the damage had been done to the overall sport. By 2008, the Indy 500 and IndyCar were no longer mainstream and still aren't. Was the IndyCar Civil War just what NASCAR needed to boom? Or would NASCAR have boomed anyway? How did the former kart drivers feel? Were they treated as second-class citizens? Were they welcomed with open arms? What about the IRL drivers? How did they feel? And how did these feelings or grudges manifest themselves? Did any technological or economic changes, which was part of the point, come from the separation? And all this is happening. Well, Danica Patrick is happening. Understandably, a lot of our documentary ideas are bad. I'd watch them all, though. But how about the 2008 reunification? Forget the split. Just do the reunification. Whether you give a damn, that's become a theme, whether you give a damn about open-wheel racing or not, everyone understands hard feelings and grudges. It's perfect. If you already forgot about 2013, like we did, just look at the 2013 Vanderbilt University baseball game program, like we were just doing, to see the Commodore's incredible recruiting class, which we had completely forgotten about. 2013 Vanderbilt baseball had Walker Bueller, Dansby Swanson, Tony Kemp, and Carson Fulmer. All freshmen. Of course, if you hate baseball, hate college baseball, or hate every team except yours, this makes no sense. So, Bueller is now a star pitcher for the Dodgers. Swanson plays for the Braves. Kent plays for the Athletics. Do not call them the A's, and Fulmer is a White Sox pitcher. And even if you don't give a damn, Swanson, Kemp, and Fulmer all have already been in the majors for four years, while Bueller, at only two-plus pro seasons, is the biggest name. Uh, also, 2013 Vanderbilt non-freshmen Tyler Beatty and Mike Yastrzemski are also in the show, which we're getting the idea that no one calls it that. The point is, Vanderbilt had an amazing 2013 recruiting class that actually lived up to the hype. Also, a year later, the Commodores had their first ever baseball national championship. Although the Fab Four, as no one called it then, was not a direct line to a title. As with uh, college hockey, and much more famously, as with college basketball, the class didn't last. Tony Kemp left for the pros at the end of that 2013 season. And then we forgot about that freshman class anyway. Until this year, when it was like, oh yeah, uh, Bueller went to uh, Vanderbilt. And Swanson went to Vanderbilt. With, wait a second, Fulmer went to Vanderbilt? And Kemp also went to Vanderbilt? Not all at the same time.